So do me a favor if you can, track down a Bible. Get with me to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Looking at the life of Abraham and watching him interact with God and deal with God and and learn to walk by faith even though there was uncertainty with him. And so we're trying to learn from him. But this is Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8, and then we'll pray and we'll get to work. Genesis 17, starting in verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, your name will be called Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us through your word. We pray, God, that you would help us to hear your voice and that it would change us. Help us to walk before you with faithfulness and blamelessness. For your glory, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we have here God giving a reminder and then giving the expectations. The reminder comes in verses 1 to 3. God is reminding Abram of some things, and then he's going to turn and talk about the covenant or the agreement that he has with with Abram and the expectations there. So the reminder, first off, is a reminder that God's timing is not our timing. Look at verse 1. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him. It gives us a little time stamp there. It says, now he is 99 years old. And just to back up a little bit, if you look at kind of the, the previous time stamp, it's just in the, the chapter right before, right at the end. And so the previous one tells us that he was 86 years old when he had a child with Sarah's maidservant, Hagar. So 13 years have passed, and here's what God is doing then by recording this and telling it in this way. He's telling us about timing, and he's telling us that this huge amount of time has elapsed, and God is not troubled by that. So 13 years since he had a child with Hagar, but it was at this point almost 25 years since the preliminary call of God in Genesis chapter 12. So Abram has been living his life waiting. He is waiting for the promises of God to come true, and he is waiting a long time. Now, one of the promises is that he'll have descendants, He'll have children from his own wife and from his own body. And the problem is they are experiencing infertility. And that is such a challenging reality. I mean, if you know anybody who wants to have children and has been unable to conceive, it's just a a very traumatic experience that just 
weighs heavily on the soul of individuals. Well, Abram has been living under that weight for nearly a quarter of a century now as he's awaiting the promise of God to come true. And what we're being told then is that God's timing is not like our timing. In fact, this delay of the fulfillment of the promise of God is not accidental. It's actually something that God might be using as a part of this process of forming Abram into the carrier of the promise. So God is telling him, you're going to be, you're my guy, you're my person, you're my dude, and through you, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. But here God is taking his sweet time to make Abram into that kind of individual. So God is patient. He's not hurried. He's not rushed. He's not frantic to get something done. He's able to wait a lifetime, even centuries, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And that delay, that delay is actually a way that he molds us and shapes us. It's a part of the process of making us ready or like him. And so, this is a hard, hard lesson to learn. I've got a, a five-year-old boy at home, and <clears throat> excuse me, this lesson is something that we're teaching even this week. Harrison, he'll get an idea in his head, and as soon as it's there, it has to come true. So he gets this idea in his head, and he's like, I need this to happen right now. So he saw this Lego kit that he really wants, and it's a shark. He loves sharks. It's a shark Lego kit, and so he sees it, and he's like, I need this thing. And he begins talking about it, and we say, okay, dude, yeah, that's really cool. That that would be a fun project for us. Your birthday's coming up. It's at the end of May. Maybe we'll get it for your birthday. He's like, no, that is too far away. We need it now. In fact, even yesterday, he was talking to me about how his tree farm cousins could get him all these things. But dad, you better get me these certain, these certain things. See, he has this problem with patience. And so we, we sat down earlier this week and I reminded him, and this is a lesson we all need to learn, but I was telling him, hey, bud, sometimes when you get what you most want and you get it quickly, it actually does harm to you because you begin to become the kind of person who expects the world to do exactly what you want when you want it. And uh, you know what we call kids who get everything their way. We call them brats. And Harrison is not a brat, and I don't want him to become one. He's a sweet boy, but, but we all need to learn this lesson because all of us have this brat-like tendency that we want things we have ideas about how the world should work, and, and we have timelines that we kind of impose on the, on the world, and we say, I need this to come true. I need this to happen. I need this to happen my way. Now, when we are impatient, we actually become mean individuals because we will look at circumstances, and if they're not favorable to us, we'll be frustrated by them. We'll get irritable. We'll look at other people who are preventing us from getting our way, and we will be mean to them. So this is an important lesson that God is teaching him. Be careful, Abram, about being in a hurry to get what you want. Be careful about rushing to this reality of trying to take hold of what you most want in this world. Um, The second thing we see here is that God tells us about himself. He's giving us a reminder, the timing of God is not like your timing, but listen to this, I am God Almighty. 
verse 1 at the end there. I am God Almighty. He gives his name. And it's an interesting way how he communicates himself here. It's the Hebrew name El Shaddai. It's the God of heaven or the, the Lord of hosts. And it's basically God saying, I am the one who rules all things. I am God Almighty and I am able to provide for you. You can try to take matters into your own hands or you can trust me because I am the God who can provide for you. God is the promise keeper. He is the promise giver, but he is also the one who can fulfill it. And so he's trying to communicate something here to us and also to Abraham in his day and age. He's saying, I am the one on whom you can rely. You can try to do this on your own, but it's only going to cause problems. And this is already happening in his life. What separates chapter 15, which is what we looked at last week, where God made that covenant with Abram. Abram watches as that flaming pot, that torch goes through the the covenant path, and God says, I am making a covenant with you, and you will have descendants from your own body, and they will be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And what happened between then and now? What's the thing between chapter 15 and chapter 17 where we're at? Well, it's chapter 16. And what does Abram do then? takes matters into his own hands. He and his wife, Sarah, sit down and they think, you know what, we're both old. We're not having kids anytime soon. It's, we're, on, we're beyond child-rearing age. And, and the proposal is made, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? And then that child could be your child. It could be our child. And maybe the promise will come true through that child. You see, when you take matters into your own hands, let me, let me just ask it like this. Good idea or bad idea? To sleep with a, with a servant. You, you understand, this is a bad idea, but he is trying to make the promise come true. And he's trying to do everything that he can to see it happen. But when you are impatient, you'll cut corners. When you're impatient, even if it's a good and godly thing, even if you feel like, I heard God's voice on this one, If you rush to try to get there and you're not willing to wait on God's timeline, you will cut corners and you will do things improperly. In fact, that's why God reminds him of the importance of living right. He says, walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. He's saying, you need to understand that while you wait... It's very important that you understand who you're becoming. You actually need to walk. This is a a way that they would talk about kind of a a way of life, an, an ethic to say like, this is how I behave. I'm walking before the Lord and I'm doing that faithfully and I'm blameless. It's a word that could be interpreted integrity. Walk before the Lord with integrity. So while you're waiting, it's very important that you recognize the process that God is working in you, and he wants you to be the kind of person who has integrity. You, you can't change circumstances. You can't, you, you could try, but it's not going to work well for you. You can try to manipulate things to get it to happen sooner. But here's what God is saying. You worry about what you're in control of. You can't change the the circumstances, but you can choose how you behave in them. Walk with integrity. Do things in a way that is faithful and honorable. 
And, and the Lord is saying, then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Bruce Waltke puts it like this, to walk before God means to orient one's entire life to God's presence, promises, and demands. As we're going through this season, we're going through a, a global pandemic where everything is disrupted and we're all waiting and we're all tired and upset. And God is reminding us today, walk with integrity. Just because you want something really badly doesn't mean you should rush toward it and try to make it happen. Wait faithfully on the Lord. So we need to be people who are walking before God, allowing him in everything that we're doing to have influence over it. Thinking through, how, what should my disposition be? What should my attitude be? What should my decision-making process look like right now? I want to be pleasing to the Lord. Walk with integrity before him. And Abram then responds to this interaction with God. God is saying, my timing is not your timing, but I, in the meantime, I want you to walk with integrity. And Abram falls down in worship. Look at verse 3. Abram fell face down. His posture now is that of worship. He is acknowledging that he has heard from God and he is falling down before him. And we find out in verse 17, we're not going to go through the entire chapter, but in verse 17, it tells us that he fell down and he laughed. And it's not that he's mocking God. It's not that he's laughing at God. It's this kind of irony. It's, it's laughing where, where you're saying, I cannot believe this is coming true. This word laughter becomes a, a prominent thing in these next few chapters because Abram laughs and Sarah laughs, and then God says, you're going to have this child, and you're going to name him Isaac, which means laughter. And so what, what Abram's doing right here is he's falling down, and he's laughing because he's thinking like this. This is too good to be true. Can you believe that me in my old age and my wife in her old age are having a child, and this is the promised child of God? And there's this joy so we need to be people who are worshiping with joy. We can fall down before God and say, you are so good. You're, you are good beyond our comprehension. You are able to do things that only you can do. And I'm waiting with you, and I'm trusting in you, and I'm walking with integrity in the meantime, but we need to be a people who are trusting God and worshiping him. And we need to be careful that we're not taking matters into our own hands and trying to wrestle blessing from the universe. That will result in frustration, but if we entrust ourselves to God, we can worship him and we can rejoice and have joy together with him. Well, verses four to eight tell us the terms of the covenant. The terms of the covenant, and one of the things that I notice right away in verses four to eight is that God is the primary actor. In fact, I'll show it to you uh, quickly. If you look at all these different verses here, look at how God describes what he's going to do. He says, as for me, this is my covenant with you. He says, I have made you a father of many nations. Verse six, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant. The whole land of Canaan, I will give as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Over and over and over again, God is saying, this is what I intend to do. 
This is my covenant with you. I will see to it that it happens. And what he's doing then is he's giving confidence that we can wait patiently for him, that God is going to do it. The other thing that I notice here is that God is transforming the expectations. Uh, they're, they're universal idols uh, that almost everybody, no matter what culture they come from, share together. And, and a couple of them kind of show up here. All of us are longing t- for significance. We all want to do something with our lives that amount to something. And so that kind of surfaces here. But another one is success. This is a universal thing that many of us, almost all of us, want to be successful in life. And what God is doing here is he's, he's redeeming those desires. You see, for Abram, he wants to be successful and he wants to be significant, but he's, he wants to rush to that end. He wants to get there as quickly as possible. And when you pursue those things without reference to God, it's idolatry. You say, I have to have it this way. I have to be successful. I have to be significant. And we're willing to do unfortunate things in the pursuit of those idols. But here, God is transforming those desires into something that he's redeeming. So they become a legacy. He's taking Abram's desire to have children and to have a nation and to be something great, and he's now redeeming it. And he's telling him, these things will come true. They are your legacy. Well, let's look at the specifics then. Here's what God will do. God will give a new name, verses 4 and 5. As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. He's changing Abram's name from a great father to a great father of a crowd, of many, of nations. And he's telling him, this is what I am doing. I am giving you a new identity. I am giving you the identity of fruitfulness. You are the father of many nations. And there's a, there's a missional element here. It, it, we need to be reminded of this, but the blessings of God aren't just for us to enjoy. God gives his blessings for the sake of many. And so when we are looking at our lives and we're trying to figure out, you know, whether or not we're on the right pursuit of what we're doing, one of the things we need to be asking is, are we doing everything for our own sake or are we doing it for the sake of others? Because God wants to bless us, but he wants that blessing to flow through us to other people. You're the father of many nations. God cares about the nations being brought together before him. He cares about those who are far away from him coming to know him in a saving way. And so if we want to be faithful to God, we need to recognize this identity that he has given to Abram and all who would come after him. We are the missionary people of God. We care deeply that there are those who do not know God in a saving way. And we should desire greatly that the nations would come before God in worship and adoration. Then he says in verse 6 that, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. This is incredible. He doesn't even have a child yet, but but God is saying, look, you're going to have nations coming from you and kings coming from you. Kings like King David and King Hezekiah and King Jehoshaphat and all these different kings that do wonderful things for God's glory. But the greatest king that comes from the line of, of Abraham is King Jesus himself. I just want to share with you briefly this uh, psalm This is what God says in Psalm 2. I have installed my king 
on Zion, my holy mountain. I will, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Kings are going to come from Abraham and the greatest king to ever come is King Jesus himself. And so God is making all of these different promises and he's telling him, I'm going to see this one through. He says, you're going to have this lasting legacy. Look at verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant <clears throat> between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. God is telling him, look, dude, you have these great things coming your way. You have these wonderful things coming your way. This lasting legacy that is going to go well beyond your lifetime. Your descendants are going to experience this blessing, and I will be their God. Look at verse 8. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. I will be their God. God is saying, look, this is a part of the good news of this promise. I am with you. I'm your God. I will be their God. There is an incredible legacy here. So as we think about what does this mean for us, what does it mean for us today? We, we need to wrestle with this idea of, do we want things so badly that we're willing to pursue them in our own efforts? Do we want things so badly that, good things even, but we want them so badly that we're willing to cut corners and do it our way? Over and over again in the Genesis narrative, what you have Abram doing and having to learn the hard way and repeatedly is, he takes matters into his own hands. He tries to protect his own life. He, he deceives people for his own safety. He passes his wife off on others multiple times. He tries to have children through a maidservant. He does all these different things, and God keeps calling him back and reminding him, I am the promise giver, and I am the promise keeper. Why don't you try it my way? So we need to wrestle with this idea of, are we going to try to make it happen on our own, or are we going to entrust ourselves to God? And doing so is a good and beautiful thing. I was thinking of the C.S. Lewis quote, and I don't have it down in my notes, so I'm going to paraphrase and butcher it, but Lewis basically said something like this. He said, we are like, we're half-hearted creatures. We're like kids making mud pies in the slum when God is giving us an invitation for a holiday at the sea. And we can't even imagine that. We're so happy with these mud pies that we can't even imagine what the sea looks like or to go on holiday there. God is saying to us, listen, the promises that I have for you are way better than what you're trying to wrestle from the world on your own. You're making mud pies. You're trying so hard to make life work the way that you want, but I've got something far better. If you will entrust yourself to me, if you will wait faithfully with me, if you will walk blamelessly before me, I will bless you. So are you willing to entrust your future to the God who provides, to God Almighty who can see it come true? Are you willing to trust him even if the promises don't come true in this lifetime, much like they didn't for Abram as he lived in, as a stranger, as a pilgrim in a foreign land? Are you willing to entrust yourself to God? He is faithful. 
He is faithful. You can rely on him. Let's pray. Lord, we ask for your patience. It, it is so easy to want things our way and to want them on our timeline. Lord, thank you for reminding us of who you are, the promise giver and the promise keeper. Thank you for reminding of, us of your ability to see things through. And so, Lord, would you make us as a people, make us people who walk with integrity in the meantime, who trust in your timeline, who believe that your promises will come true, that they are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.